I'm here today with Susan K. Williams-Smith. Susan is an ordained minister, musician, writer, and activist living in Columbus, Ohio. She's written for the Washington Post and Huffington Post, as well as her blog, Candid Observations. She currently serves as one of the tri-chairs for the Ohio Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. She also serves as a national scribe for the African-American Ministers Leadership Council, as communications consultant for the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and is the founder of Crazy Faith Ministries. She's a graduate of Occidental College and Yale Divinity School, an interim of D-Men from United Theological Seminary. And she also has a new book coming out. Um, the release date, I think, is Tuesday, um, October 19th. The title of the book is With Liberty and Justice for Some, The Bible, the Constitution, and Racism in America. And I really want to read the book description of this book because I think it's just really powerful. In this provocative new book from prophetic preacher and pastor Susan Williams Smith, the author tackles the truths that church in the United States has long held to be self-evident, that ours is one nation under God, that our U.S. Constitution is almost as infallible as the Holy Bible, and that democracy and its principles of justice for all are sacrosanct and protected by both God and government. Yet, history and headlines alike expose the fallacy of those assumptions, particularly when viewed in the light of a national culture of white supremacy and systemic racial injustice. In fact, Smith argues, the two texts we count as sacred have not merely been impotent in terms of eliminating racism, they have been used to support and sustain white supremacy. This important work examines how our foundational documents have failed people of color and asks the question, can those whom a nation has considered we the problem ever become we the people who are celebrated in the preamble of the constitution? What will it take to reclaim the transforming and affirming power of God and government to secure liberty and justice for all? So all I can say for that is, wow. <laughs> so Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. Well, it's, it's my pleasure to be able to meet you and to, you know, um, learn about this book. Um, I'd love for you to just ex expand a little bit on the introduction, let folks know, you know, kind of more about who you are and the other books that you've written, things like that. Okay. Well, um, I grew up in church, most, you know, grew up in church, went to Sunday school and always loved the words of the Bible. Um, and was, had a mother who really, you know, drummed into us that, you know, that you got to do what Jesus says to do. And so, for instance, when the civil rights stuff, the, the, the violence was going on in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was really little, but I remember seeing the dogs and the hoses on television. And my mother, um, I can remember the day like it was yesterday, my mother hollered out from the kitchen, yeah, and you got to love them anyway, which perplexed me um, because... I didn't know why anybody would tell anybody to love somebody that was doing that kind of stuff. So anyway, as I, you know, went through, you know, grew up and, 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 and listened to all these people uh, calling themselves Christian, white and black, I thought something is, is amiss here because racism was profound. It was profound in terms of the actions and the attitudes and the speech of these white people that I knew who, um, 
who said they were Christian. And I, I didn't understand how that could be the case. And then, of course, we grew up with the words of the Constitution, more the, the words of the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And I was looking, I said, there is something wrong. So, But what, what really got me is I was thinking one day, I was reading something, I don't remember what it was, but they are talking about a specific lynching. And it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks that something is wrong when a people can call themselves Christian, a religion which is based on love and the formation of the beloved community, when a people can, can call themselves Christian and lynch somebody on a Saturday night, in my own mind, lynch somebody on a Saturday night and then go to church the next morning and serve communion. I thought something's wrong. Something is wrong here. That, you know, and... And, and then as I thought about it and, and thought about it, I thought about how people, you know, they call themselves patriots and they wave the American flag, but the, the flag represented a, a break away from a type of government that was oppressive and this government was going was gonna to be, you know, of the people, by the people, for the people. And it's not anywhere near that, but yet they... Um, they wave the flag, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what Christianity is, and I don't know what patriotism is, because there's definitely a break. And so um, then I, um, I, I came to a conclusion that many people are religious, but not necessarily Christian. Many people um, go to church, they do, and they celebrate um, the birth and the, and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. They do that because those are good commercial holidays. I'm sorry to sound so cynical, but they are. But in between, you know, it's like the dash days. If you were born in 1920 and you die in 1980, what did you do in those dash days? The dash days uh, phenomenon of people who call themselves Christian, that, that report, the dash report, I guess you would say, it's not so good because people discriminate and hate and, and kill and all that while they call themselves Christian. There's something wrong with that. So I just decided to um, to kind of look into it more because it seems to me that um, when you have words like that that are found in the Bible, you know, and many people who go to, go, to, go to church don't even go to the Gospels. They read the epistles of Paul, but that's their Bible. And so almost exclusively. So when you, but when you go and you really read the, the Gospels, when you really read like the Sermon on the Mount and you see what Jesus said to do, you know that something is a mess. So I just wanted to explore it. I wanted to see, you know, the evolution. I wanted to see what the history was. And I'm not a historian, but I, 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 I wanted to just put my, my, my foot in enough water in different areas so the people if i put it in the book people might be inspired to look and see you know how it is we came to be at this point and to me it's a fascinating story and, and to me i concluded that we don't have one god in, in america christians don't have one god you got one god for black people and one god for black white white people one god for black people because they're not the same the inter, they don't intersect even that's where that's what made me start writing the book yeah well i mean <laughs> A lot of profound uh, but true observations, as as far as I can tell. Um, tell us a little bit more about the things that you've done before this book, because I know you've written some other books, right. and you know, obviously you've been an activist. You're an ordained minister. Right. Well, I went to um, Yale Divinity School. I was a reporter actually before okay. I the ministry, and um, I, I was working in Baltimore, and then I moved to Texas, and then I went back to Yale. I went to Yale Divinity School. 
Um, so and I worked um, under the tutelage of uh, Jeremiah Wright for a while. I was an associate minister at Trinity United Church of Christ. Oh, okay. And then I came here to Columbus, and I was a pastor here for 22 years. And now I, I've left that, and I have this nonprofit called Crazy Faith Ministries. And we, um, we do church services, you know, but we do church services where we want to do church services. We're not, like, in a specific building. We do a lot of outreach to the least of these, which is, like, in my blood to do that. And we do a lot of social justice work. And so... Um, Right now, we're very heavily involved in getting the, the people registered to vote and getting them out to vote and doing voter education and all that. So I do a lot of social justice work in general, but this is the season for voting. So that's the work that we're, we're doing right now. Um, we collect socks for the homeless. You know, when I, sometimes when I think about the things to do, I just have to laugh because they're so little. So, so many churches do these humongous things. Uh, we don't do humongous things. We do these little things like collecting socks for the homeless. And I, last year or the year before on Thanksgiving, we were walking around the streets in Columbus and we had fixed Thanksgiving dinner and put them in bags because a lot of people will not or cannot go to like the churches or the shelters that are giving Thanksgiving dinner. So we took these 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 dinners in a bag and socks. And it just got to me where we would give the people the bags of dinners and they were grateful. But when we gave them the socks, many of them broke down and wept. I thought, oh, okay, that's what we'll do. Um, so I think that um, in my own heart, my own heart, there's just this need. I, the, the, the words of the Bible just inspire me. And, and, to, and, and, I, and I think that any of us could be one of the least of these in a New York second especially now with the economy, you know, so bad. I mean, it scares me. It scares me to see people laying out in the streets in winter on pieces of cardboard. Uh, just, you know, something is wrong with that, especially in this, uh, the most wealthy nation in the world. So that's what we, we do. Um, so this book is the, I don't know, sixth, seventh, I don't know which, which number it is. Last year around this time, I had a book come out called Rest for the Justice-Seeking Soul. Um, every Tuesday, I do something called a Tuesday meditation. I started doing that some years ago when I was reading um, Reverend William Barber's book, The Second Reconstruction. And he said in that book how he explained how his grandmother would on Sundays take food for, left over from dinner. And she and her friends in the neighborhood would go out with all this food. And he said that she said, we're going to go hope somebody. And he thought that she meant to say help, but she really did mean hope. And so that just kind of got my interest and so I started writing meditations on a Tuesday so um, every Tuesday I write these meditations for to kind of inspire and help people who are doing social justice work that was last year that came out so and then before that there was crazy faith ordinary people extraordinary lives and a book called forgive who and another one called from Calvary to victory so I've written a couple of books very cool very very wonderful um, since your Trinity connection you might um no, I'm sure you know a couple of the folks who've been heavily involved in some of the stuff I've done. Uh, Frank Thomas, absolutely, he's a good friend. He he was a speaker, one of the speakers at the first Publishing in Color conference we did, oh, okay. and he's also spoken at the Writing for Your Life conferences. In fact, right. we did one in conjunction with the seminary where he works in Indianapolis, the Christian right. Theological Seminary. Right. And then also Otis Moss III um, yeah, yeah. now has been involved in the Compassionate Christianity work that I've done yeah. in different ways. So, you know, we have some very good uh, common connections there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, you, you're in 
in, in Columbus, Ohio, you know, it, it sounds like now. So yeah. um, a lot of the work that you do is kind of on the ground there, it sounds like. Yeah, it is. It is, especially in the pandemic. You know, we, um, we've been doing, I have a friend of mine, she's a UU minister, but um, we were working with Poor People's Campaign and decided that uh, we wanted to be engaged in this election in a different way. And she and I were having a conversation one day and I said, you know what, Joan, we need to do some stuff. We need to step out. Um, and we need to have conversations with people that nobody ever talks to. Uh, nobody pays attention to them. Um, I, I said, because I think people, um, when they don't vote, it's because they think they don't matter and they think their vote won't matter. So we decided we were going to do these community conversations and we were going to get in our cars and we were going to drive all around the state of Ohio. We were going to go to places, cities, towns uh, where we normally would not have gone and just sat down and sit down with people and have conversations. And I was so, um, I was so convinced that it was something we should do that I told her, I said, I'll even go to Appalachia, but I'm not going by myself. I need somebody white to go with me because um, I'm not, I don't want to be lynched just because I'm trying to have conversations with people. But this is what I, I know. I know that no matter who you are, no matter your color, your ethnicity, no, no matter who you are, there is a common something in all of us called humanness. And the things that we ache about, we ache about no matter who we are. And I said to Joan, I said, that's what we need to do. We need to find out what people are aching about and then and, and in so doing kind of dissolve some of the capacity to be so tribal. So then the pandemic came. And we couldn't drive around the state. So we've been doing these virtual community conversations around the state. And now we're going into now that the voter registration in Ohio, the, 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 the uh, voter registration deadline has come and gone. Now we're having community conversations on how to vote and what's bothering you, what's, you know, because some people are still thinking that they're not going to vote. So we're having community conversations now to, you know, hear people and, and, and hopefully get them to understand how important their vote is. If, if voting, if they didn't count, there wouldn't be so many efforts to keep people from voting. And that's the thing that we tell them and we tell them that they have power. Um, the, the powers that be and work to make us think that we don't have power. I just read something yesterday that Robert Louis Stevenson said that what you are becoming is the sole purpose of life itself. And so I, you know, we just shared with people that that's, that's, that you, you are becoming. And when you, when any of us decide to leave the, the, the riffraff in terms of the, the, the ideologies that we're given. And in fact, when we decide to leave that behind and kind of tap into the, the well of, of power that we have within ourselves, lives can change. And so that's what we're trying to tell people. Um, and to, to try to get them to understand that they do have power and every single vote counts and, and they are needed. You know, some people don't feel needed for any reason. They don't feel needed. Our conversations are designed to make people understand that they are needed. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you're doing a lot of amazing work. Um, what are your hopes for the book, the new book, that how that will impact um, our country and our society? Well, you know, I hope. I hope everyone will read. I think it's a good resource. I think it's in, in terms of what it offers. I think it offers a lot of um, information that, that I hope will inspire people to read and study more on their own. One of the things that I know is that people don't know history. I mean, if, 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 if I thought that what's going on now was the only time this kind of stuff had happened, I'd be totally depressed. But when I read back in history and I see how we've had just horrible times in the past and some of them bordering on maybe even worse than this and we got through it it gives you strength so i'm hoping that people will read 
this. I'm hoping that everybody who reads it will come away one day at least and say, I didn't know that. I hope there's something in this book that will make people say, I did not know that, and then inspire them to read more. Because I think the more you read, the more you know, the more equipped you are to handle what I call the dumb stuff. This is dumb stuff, but it's based on um, uh, the quest for power and a belief by the power system that people are ignorant. And, and I want us to not be ignorant. I want us to be equipped with knowledge so that we can fight, you know, in the way that we can fight and bring about, you know, uh, respect the dignity of people and, 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 and the talent of people and not give in to, to people in power just because they have money. You know, and we always say that organized people will beat organized money every time. So we have to um, understand and get people organized and, and let them move in that organized way so that they can see that they have power. We need for people to understand this election that they do have power. We need for them to use it. And we need to, for them to use it in such a way that there can be no church, I mean, no, no court fights because the results are just, you know, flat out flat. So um, that's what I'm hoping. I hope that people will read it and pick it up and say, I did not know that and don't want to read more. That's the biggest. And I hope, I hope everybody, <laughs> hope it goes all over the world. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, Alan Bosak, uh, who's a friend of mine, actually wrote a, 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 a like an endorsement of it. Um, and I hope that it'll go to places where, because th this type of oppression racial oppression, sexual oppression, all of that, which, you know, the, the, both the Bible and the Constitution should make, you know, moot. It's going on all over the world. So I'm hoping that people in different places all over the world will read it and be inspired by it and, you know, be inspired to do greater things in their lives. So um, I know it's a little bit difficult to think past the election right now, but um, I, I feel as though there's going to be a lot of healing required. Oh yeah. You know, healing our divides, um, whether it's a racial divide or political divide or other kinds of divides. Um, do you have any thoughts on actions that either we as individuals or organizations can take to help heal some of those divides? Well, I think ironically, I was thinking about that last night. Um, I was uh, that we are going to have to have, uh, what I call difficult conversations with each other. I, you know, I always hate when people say we won't have a safe conversation about, you know, usually it's a safe conversation about racism, but we need to have some just human to human, heart to heart conversations because people are wounded on a number of different levels. This nation is, um, there's so many people who are grieving. You know, loved ones died because of the coronavirus. They couldn't be with their loved ones. How do you, I mean, how do you get through that? You know, how do you, 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 you had to, 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 to see your loved one for the last time via a, a FaceTime phone call? You know what? That's, going, that's doing something to this nation that we've not even begun to address. So we've got the coronavirus. We've got this, 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 this um, new, uh, I don't want to say if it's new, but a heightened awareness of racial injustice. And that's, you know, the, the anger and the hurt uh, of the African-American community is deep. And, and so they've got, in our community, we got to heal not only from the deaths and the loss of jobs, because there's a lot of loss, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, loss of homes. That is a lot of grieving. But we also have to mourn um, the loss or the continued loss of or the evasion of um, 
of justice for us. So I think that there's going to have to be a lot of conversations. And I also think that um, people are going to have to be able to be in a space where they can say honestly what they feel. Let me give you an example. Somebody um, called me the other day and said, I, I don't know what to, what to say. She said, my, my mom said, you know, when I was little, she said, my mother said, don't uh, wish anybody dead. She says, but I don't like this president and I don't want to see him dead, I guess. She said, but I want something to happen to him. And I said, you need to be able to say that out loud. I think that there's such, you know, we want to, you know, pretend that we are okay inside and we are not, we are not. And, um, and I think there needs to be a space where we can share that. You know what it's like? It's like when you're in church, when you are involved in church and you're having a faith crisis, you don't dare share that with the saints because they will, you know, lay hands on you or, you know, think that something's wrong with you when, when in fact, many people are in faith crises. Um, so you don't say it, you don't share it, but then it's in you and it, and it messes with you. It messes with your capacity to even breathe a clean breath because your pain is so, it's so thick inside. So I think we're going to have to create spaces where we have conversations, the likes of which we've never had before. We're going to have to admit what we feel. We're going to have to have to say out loud and be safe that I know this is not a good thing to say, but this is what I feel. And maybe if we can get some of that stuff out, we can give our spirits enough room to receive like a spirit of God inside of us so that we can begin to heal. Lots of healing has to be done. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I want to follow up with you later about this uh, question too. But um, for now, I think, as you know, a lot of the folks in our audience are relatively new writers. Mm. And so I hope they're inspired by what you've done, both uh, in your book and beyond. Uh, but what advice do you have for folks who, you know, would like to kind of follow in your footsteps or, you know, write some of the difficult things that you've written? Well, the first thing is that you have to write every day. You have to write if you feel like it and you have to write, especially when you don't feel like it. I write for, you know, I write for my blog, but I also write for a couple of newspapers. And some days I am just not feeling it. I mean, sometimes I, I sit down at my laptop and I'm thinking, I just don't have anything to say. But you have to push yourself. And I've been told that if you don't do anything but write one sentence, that you write it down. Uh, but you but but you have to write every single day. And it is a discipline. Um, I know that when a deadline, when deadlines are coming out for this book and for others, when, you know, I could find any and everything to do except write and sit down and change the writing because, you know, I just didn't want to do it, but it's a discipline. So if you, for instance, have a, a you can block off a, a block of time and say that every day I'm going to give this writing thing two hours. You don't, I don't know what you'll come up with. You don't know what you'll come up with, but you'll come up with something. And if it's nothing more than a word, you know, sometimes you're going to be thinking and, and a word will just stick with you, write it down. You think you're going to remember, but you don't. Um, or it might be just one that, that one sentence I talked about, write it down, because that means that something in your spirit is, is, is ruminating over that, that's wrestling with that. So you write it down and then you come back, but you must do it every single day. The second thing is um, when you submit um, manuscripts, and you've got to be very careful about submitting manuscripts to publishers who are interested in what you are writing. Um, you can just take all the joy out of your effort if you submit a, a manuscript to a publisher that doesn't take what you're writing. So you have to do some research on the publisher. Um, but when you get rejection notices, because you will, don't let it stop you. 
Yeah, just don't let it. rejection is part of the process. I'm sorry, da 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 and 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 sometimes it's just heartbreaking. Well, many times it's heartbreaking. But uh, you have to keep on because I'm going to assume that if you want to write, it's something in you. It's 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 like a, a, a bubbling inside you and you dare not stop the bubbling just because you get a rejection notice. So those would be the biggest things that I would recommend. Excellent advice. Uh, no, no question about that. And, uh, you know, I've heard similar kinds of things on the rejection front, you know, oh. across the spectrum. I mean, everyone's experienced that in spades. So, yeah. Well, Susan, I really appreciate you taking some time to, uh, you know, let us learn about you and what you've done. And uh, I, I thank you for that. And uh, thank you for this book. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Thank you. I, I hope that, that you like it. Like I said, I'm a little nervous because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are scholars. I'm not a scholar. I just love history, and, um, and, I, and I want there to be a sense of connectedness for, for where we are here, why we are where we are now based on where we've come from, and I'm hoping that it will just inspire people to want to know more and more and more because I think the more un we understand, the less angst we'll have, and the more we will be equipped to fight the battles that we will always have to fight because justice injustice never goes away, but you fight it a little differently if you have some history behind you, so I hope that's what it does. Well, you know, as you point out very starkly, there's this huge incongruity between, okay. you know, the Bible and the Constitution and the way our country and our society have been. Right. So whatever we can do to try to close that gap, <laughs> yeah, you know, remove that incongruity and, and, and maybe hopefully all, you know, live like real Christians, like right. Like Jesus intended, right. you know, what a concept! Um, right, so right, right, let's, right. let's hope that you know what you're doing can move the ball a little bit in that direction. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>